Hello, you're listening to EG Property Podcast with Sarah Jackman. Today, I'm speaking to Eleanor Murray, partner and head of residential disputes at law firm CMS about the government's proposals for residential tenancy reform. The proposals, published last week in a white paper, proposed the end of the Section 21 notice procedure, the so-called no-fault eviction process, as well as proposing reforms to tenancy deposits and court process. Eleanor, many thanks for joining me today. I know these reforms have been a long time in the making, and we first spoke about them some time ago now, I think almost three years ago. And I guess other priorities have intervened in the period since, and we're only now seeing the detail of what's proposed. Tell me a little bit about what's prompted publication of the reforms now. Thanks, Sarah. And yes, great to um, have the opportunity to talk with you today. And as you say, continue the conversation from, I think we're talking about three years ago, when we first uh, heard from government with a pledge that it was going to abolish Section 21 non-fault eviction and it was going to uh, change the tenancy system that we all know and and love. I think what has prompted this is that the government is very committed to to levelling up and tackling some of what it considers are very serious injustices in our private rental sector. The paper's very clear on their mission in terms of government is wanting to deal with what they say is, I think it's some 2.8 million people said to be living in substandard homes, things like lack of adequate heating, that they're properties that are not safe to occupy or healthy to live in, and also tackling what I would perceive to be a, a small minority of landlords who are not delivering on decent homes and are potentially exploiting the system that Section 21 provides which is making it very difficult for a a more vulnerable group of tenants to be able to enjoy their homes and feel that they are long-term homes that they can settle in and bring their families in. So this, I think, um, has brought together what the government describes as its mission to raise the bar on quality and deliver a new deal for the private rented sector. You've had a, a chance to delve into the detail. Talk our listeners through the main proposals within the paper. What exactly are we talking about when we talk about the reform of Section 21? Sure. Just before we touch on specifically Section 21, I think it's fair to say that you know the, the white paper sets out how government is going to achieve this mission. And it sets out what is described as a 12-point plan to create a private rented sector that's fit for the 21st century. So we won't go through all of the 12 points, but just to sort of give a bit of a flavour maybe of some of the headlines, and then we can delve into the detail a little bit later. Briefly before Section 21, we're talking about raising the standards and and tackling this problem with non-decent rented homes. The government's going to introduce legislation to introduce a legally binding decent home standard for the first time into the private rented sector, which we don't currently have, albeit it is certainly a feature of the social sector. Turning to Section 21, it's going to remove uh, the tool that landlords have utilised for a long time. That's the no fault Section 21 eviction route server notice to bring the tenancy to an end. Um, The reason for that is it wants to ensure that tenants have more security and certainty uh, that their tenancy can't be brought to an end. 
and more broadly than that government is going to move away from the well-established assured shorthold tenancy or assured tenancy regime and replace that with periodic tenancies. So we're going to see an end to what we're familiar with, which is a tenancy which at least to begin with has an initial fixed term after which, of course, it can roll into a, a periodic. From now on, there will be no fixed term and a tenancy in that situation will only be able to be brought to an end in a certain circumstances, one being if the tenant decides it wants to and it can bring that to an end by serving uh, a notice giving, uh, they say, two months notice or the landlord can, but it will need to very much rely on the new updated grounds for possession in order to be able to bring the tenancy to a conclusion. Okay, so quite a raft of proposals there. Tell us a little bit about the new Ground 8 provisions that will come into force alongside this. So, yes, um, as we know, we're going to lose the no-fault ground, where at the moment a landlord, without needing to give any explanation at all, can simply serve the notice to terminate, to bring the tenancy to an end. And if the tenant doesn't get out, the landlord has a legitimate basis on which to go to court to get a court order to get the, the tenant evicted. So if we do away with that, then clearly landlords still need to be able to have some control over the management of their properties and, and get their properties back in for a whole range of reasons. One could be quick to, to think that then you want your property back because there's some fault on the tenant side. But on, on a practical level, the private rental sector is made up of a number of different categories of landlords and a not insignificant group of those will be those who simply have one or two second homes that for the short or the medium term they may be renting out and circumstances of course for landlords as well as tenants can change so if the uh, landlord wishes to sell or the landlord has close family members who wish to occupy the property one of the new changes introduced will be a, a new ground for the landlord to serve a notice making out this ground in order to bring that tenancy to an end. Turning then to grounds that you know are a focus of concern unfortunately for, for lots of, of landlords, especially in these economic times where you know there is an increase in rent arrears. Around rent arrears there's going to be sort of two significant changes I think to talk about. The first will be a ground for serious rent arrears. So the government proposes to retain the existing mandatory ground for allowing a landlord to serve notice once the tenant is two months in arrears. And I should say that's not a new thing. That's something we, we recognise from the current regime. In order to succeed on this ground when going to court, they would, as currently, there will still need to be two months of arrears at the date of the hearing. But also a linked but separate ground that government is going to introduce is a further new mandatory ground for what they describe as repeated serious arrears where there's a history of non-payment. So the idea is that possession will be granted where a tenant has been in at least two months worth of arrears three times within the previous three years and the order will be made regardless of the balance of arrears at the time of the hearing. 
So this is going to be um, reassuring to landlords who are worried about repeat offenders. And as I say, given where we are with the economy and the cost of living, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, no doubt landlords have, in certain circumstances, good reason to want to know that there is a tool available in the new regime should they need it regarding repeat non-payment of rent. They're also going to have slight changes to the antisocial behaviour. It's going to reduce the notice period for what they describe as the most serious cases of antisocial behaviour for landlords in order to reduce the period now to just two weeks. But landlords will be able then to make a claim to the court immediately once notice is given some balancing up of the measures that are being proposed then? Absolutely and and there's no doubt the government has listened over the last three years to the concerns raised by those in the industry on the landlord side that whilst they are tackling as I described at the outset I think a minority group within the landlord category in order to support tenants they need very much to not alienate those quality landlords who are properly managing their AST portfolios and have very legitimate need to have what up until now has been the Section 21 route. They need to ensure that landlords have an alternative route which works effectively so that they can, where needed, bring tenancies to an end and get tenants out where necessary. And tell us a little bit about what's happening in relation to tenancy deposits as well. Well, at the moment, we haven't got an enormous amount of information on that. But we we can see that, again, government is listening. And what has been a problem for a long time is that people in the rented sector are struggling to have savings because the cost of living and renting is so high. So that means when one tenancy comes to an end, and they need to ensure that they can immediately rehouse themselves in a new property, they have their existing deposit locked in one for one property, and it's not released in time for them to then put the deposit down for for the next one. So it's a very legitimate problem that needs to be resolved. I don't think we've got the solution from a government yet, but what the paper does say is that it's committed to collaborating with industry experts to monitor the development of market-led solutions for what they describe as passport deposits. And I think that essentially means an easy route to transfer a deposit from tenancy one to tenancy two in a timely fashion and reduce the problems experienced by tenants at the moment um, when there's an overlap between tenancies. So there's no fixed pledge yet. But it's clear that they are uh, looking at ways to introduce a passport deposit scheme for the future in order to reduce the financial burden for tenants when they're moving on. So at the moment, this is a white paper. What is proposed in terms of timing or what's your feel in terms of how quickly this might move ahead? I think that's that's a good question. As you say, the, the white paper is a first step towards reform. We understand that the draft renters reform bill, which I should say is is the the vehicle, so to speak, for which these reforms will go through. It is said that a draft should be available by March next year. And certainly all efforts are going to be made to progress this during this parliamentary session. So I think 
we're all expecting to see draft legislation by spring next year. Thereafter, I think, Sarah, it's probably difficult to say exactly what the timescales are for ultimate implementation. And it does, to be fair, make clear in the white paper that some of the proposals are still being considered. And and we touched on that a moment ago in terms of the passports for deposits. So I think some of the wider areas for reform could take could take several years. But I think March next year certainly is a date to focus on next. So with that in mind, what should landlords be thinking about ahead of any eventual changes? That's a really good point. And I think there's lots of things to, to start thinking about. There's obviously going to be a lot of change and a lot of new things for those working in the industry to to get to grips with and to understand. I think that landlords with large portfolios want to ensure that they're working with managing agents who will have the adequate training to understand what the new regime will look like for when we're transferring over. And we're going to have a period with between what they describe as implementation dates one and two as we phase across to the new system. So we're going to have for a short period at least where we'll have both seeing out the existing assured shortholds for those already in place and a period where after which all new tenancies will be the periodic ones that are going to replace it. So it's going to have a a brief period of a two-tiered system. Government's clear that that's not to last for long but from a practical point of view that's going to exist for a while so those you know whether it be the lawyers the managing agents needing to have a clear understanding of what the new regime will look like there'll be new tenancy documents to be negotiated and an an interesting point to to mention in terms of another reform was the um, announcement which I'm sure a lot of the nation's pet lovers will be delighted about that from now on landlords won't be able to unreasonably refuse tenants the right to have a pet but that provision needs to be drafted into the new tenancy documentation moving forward from a practical point of view to ensure that the uh, landlord can require that there is pet insurance put in place so there's lots of practical points around that it also strikes me that landlords who are on buy to lets need to check in with their lenders to look to see whether the lender's have any change in their requirements, for example, over the lending for um, these properties, you know, where the new regime is going to look very different. It will be interesting to see what emerges in the next weeks and months, perhaps, from from that industry and how it's going to work alongside supporting landlords who do have buy-to-let properties. Also, we go into this sort of positively and and, and hoping that the new system will work well, but undoubtedly there's going to be a period of of some teething problems, as I say. So I think if some landlords are already contemplating perhaps taking steps, whether it is to tackle a tenant who is in breach of covenant or uh, indeed somebody who perhaps is only intending to be a landlord in the private rental sector in the very short to medium term, if their circumstances are going to change, they may well be advised to consider taking steps to regularise the position sooner rather than later before we embark on this new regime. Again, that's a very much a sort of individual's point to, to consider. But certainly, I think there's going to be a period where the court 
service is getting to grips with a new system. We can go on to talk about it, but there's all sorts of reforms to the court system in terms of digitising it, for example. And many anticipate at least to begin with an increase in claims around this. So we could find our already very stretched court system perhaps becoming getting under a little bit more pressure as well as these as changes introduced. So again, landlords should have a look and, and, and pause for thought at this point as to what they want to do in terms of ensuring any immediate steps in the management of their portfolios. You mentioned the risk there of the court system getting to grips, I guess, with the new system, and, and that may, in consequence, take take some time. Are there any other risks posed by the proposed reforms that were published last week? There certainly is some risk, Gara. This is around ensuring that investors in the private rental sector are not put off or disincentivised from continuing to invest in this very important sector. There's no question government needs investment in the sector to help build new homes. We're all very much aware of the acute housing shortage and the lack of existing homes. So these changes could risk the pipelines for future investment by putting some of the perhaps larger institutional investors off if they feel that investment in this sector is just too high risk or uncertain or these reforms pose greater difficulties in terms of management. It's really important that government continues to attract these high quality landlords and we all understand the intention behind these changes is not to tackle problems posed by them but again the minority of landlords who are not delivering on decent homes but government mustn't alienate that group of perhaps institutional investors who've done so much uh, in the last five years, especially in the build to rent sector, to deliver new units. I think in the last year we've had over 60,000 new units provided by the build to rent sector. And it goes without saying they've been very, very important, not least in the last two years where people have been forced to uh, lock down in the early stages or they've been isolating. And so the importance of quality homes has been absolutely essential and high quality environments for people to live, even just on a practical level, somewhere where you can get your Amazon delivery picked up for you or it can help with mental health issues by having a sort of community led activities and so on when we were in the peak of lockdown and, and people were perhaps on their own. So I don't think we should underestimate the importance of ensuring that that sector is supported and continues to invest for us because that goes to help government overall in terms of its mission. It wants to level up and ensure quality housing across the country and it wants to ensure that, that it's of a decent standard and the bill to rent sector is very much delivering on that and government wants a private rental sector that's fit for the 21st century and it's these new bill to rent developments that the renters of today are all aspiring to in order to call those houses their homes, which is exactly what government wants. OK, and if the changes are enacted in their current form, do you think they will achieve their aim in, in terms of what they set out to do in that white paper? I think there's plenty of prospects for that. 
What I think is important, and it goes to some of the points I've already made, is to ensure, for example, plenty of time to, let's say, test the system. And in particular, on a practical level, we talked briefly about proposals to changes in the court um, service, but the PRS sector has made clear for the last three years that if it's going to abolish section 21 it has got to ensure that there is reforms within the court service to make it more efficient and deliver justice in terms of you know dealing with claims efficiently and cost effectively so one of the concerns is that the time frames for reform and and abolishing section 21 could come earlier than the time that is needed by government to ensure that the reforms to the court system are made and not just introduced but properly tried and tested so that we know that they work. So I think that is potentially an area of concern for the industry and is something that needs to be prioritised. Difficult of course to say that government needs time and it needs money and we know more broadly there's um, so much demand for its time and, and, and its resource at the moment. But I think that's going to be really important to ensure that the new system, when it's rolled out, can be supported by the court process to ensure that where necessary, the ground eights can be relied upon by landlords in order to bring the tenancy to an end and get an order for possession. Eleanor, thank you so much for coming on today and explaining the new proposals for us. There's obviously a huge amount of detail there and we really appreciate you distilling that for us. And I hope that we have the opportunity to come back and talk about this once the government's reported back in due course. Thanks, Sarah. Yes, we'd be delighted to come back and continue the conversation. And um, thanks for your time today. That was EG Property Podcast with Sarah Jackman in conversation with Eleanor Murray of CMS. For more on the residential white paper, see the AGI archive at egi.co.uk.